So we're starting a new series of messages. Today is, our, is week two, and a series we're calling Untangled. And if we're going to live untangled lives, we have to untangle our schedules. And what a perfect time to talk about untangling your schedule at the beginning of the year. So this morning, we're going to spend some time talking about untangling our schedules. Speaking of untangling our schedules, had lunch this week with Andy and when you talk about untangling, we were actually, you mentioned this morning, you had a conversation with someone about New Year's resolutions. And when you're talking about untangling your schedule, talking about resolutions, you're really talking about what, Andy? Yeah, really the conversation kind of evolved into priorities. Yeah. And I think our conversation this week, we were really kind of being a little bit introspective as the beginning of the new year, as I think we all are at this time. And we were discussing priorities for a Christian man or woman or just child of God. And I mean, I was sharing with Pastor Ed that, you know, and affirmed obviously through the pastor and many pastors and churches that I've been a part of that as a child of God, our priorities first is our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? That's our number one priority. As great as it is that everybody's coming to attend Gateway, fantastic, and we're humbled and blessed that you're here. What's even more important is your relationship with Jesus Christ, the most important. And then after that, your relationship with, we kind of discuss with your family and your spouse and your job and then your ministry, right? So that was kind of Really the summary of our conversation, but we really just felt relevant to share. We talked real quickly, Andy. What, what are the things that challenge you in executing on your priorities? Right. I'm sure with many of you, but for me, my biggest struggles are busyness and laziness, quite honestly. Just remembering to be disciplined, get up and reading and praying and trying to seek that fellowship out and just keeping that relationship right with God and understanding that all of other priorities kind of fall into place. All right. Why don't you kick us off this morning? We're going to be looking at untangling our schedules, and we're going to look at a fascinating passage of Scripture to do that. Annie's going to read us the opening of Psalm 90, verses 1 through 12. Now, the back uh, three or four verses of Psalm 90, you can go read it later, is where the psalmist actually makes his request to God, but he sets it up in a profound way that has some really cool implications for our schedule. So Andy's going to read for us this morning Psalm 90, verses 1 through 12, and let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word as Andy reads Psalm 90, 1 through 12 for us. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turned people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that have, has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our inequities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. You may be seated. Thanks, Andy. I had dinner with a couple years ago, interesting dinner. The, the purpose of dinner was not to talk about their marriage specifically, although kind of, 
And uh, it was unusual for me because I ended up at this dinner feeling more concerned about their marriage than they, than they were. I, I'm usually not in that role. The other thing is I was, I was shocked, frankly, at the disconnect in their lives, and their minds, and the way they were looking at their lives. Let me explain. The complaint was they felt really disconnected from one another and from God. They've got three kids, and the three kids were involved in uh, five teams. So one of them, sports teams. So one of them was in gymnastics, which I think is, uh, I understand from the gymnastics families, that's like two sports in and of itself. Another kid was on two basketball teams, and another kid was on, in the fall, was on a basketball team and a baseball team. And so I said, you know, walk me through your schedule. What's your week like? They started talking about their Monday through Friday and then their Saturday and Sunday. And I thought, and then I said, no wonder you're disconnected. You don't even see one another. How could you not be? We're not going to live untangled lives unless we lead untangled schedules. Last week, we started this new series, and we made this larger point. So let's don't snooze on this. We've got somewhere to go in our lives this year. God has something for you to do, and he has something for your family. If you're married, if you've got kids, God has got something for us. We're going somewhere. It's not just aimless. We've got somewhere to go, and we're not going to get there if we're leading tangled lives. Let's add to that, we're not going to live untangled lives unless we lead an untangled schedule. Now, we know this. This is why we've read books We've been to seminars, we've watched TED Talks about time management. These things can be very helpful. Of course, they're not helpful unless we let them help us, but we know this. The Bible, by the way, has many things to say about managing our time, and some of that counsel comes from surprising places. So we're going to look at one of those this morning. Psalm 90 is a poem that would have been used in the ancient Near East in a liturgical worship setting. So it would have been read or spoken responsively, me, then you, or antiphonally one side of the room, then the other. So it's kind of surprising in such a setting to find clear and profound implications for our schedule. And I mean our routine and, and our practical daily to-do list. But it's here. Now, under every great poem, there are philosophical underpinnings. You know, the author often has his philosophy sort of buried around the edges, but he's trying to say something about life. It's not so subtle in Psalm 90. The author is more in our face. It's very straightforward what he believes about God and what he believes about us. And those philosophical underpinnings are critical for us to tease out of this poem because they have implications for our schedule. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at six philosophical truths that the author of Psalm 90 lays down as tracks for our lives. In, in his case, he laid them down as tracks for what were going to be his petition to the Lord. In our case, he lays them down for us as tracks that help us untangle our schedules. In the process of laying out these six philosophical underpinnings, I want to give you these six philosophical truths. I want to give you three observations, three get-it-done principles that will really help us lead untangled schedules this year. So let's jump in. Uh, philosophical truths number one, God welcomes us into an intimate relationship. Lord, you have been our dwelling place, Moses begins. An invitation into an intimate relationship. Now, if you spent time in Christian church growing up, you're used to this idea, but let's remind ourselves it's revolutionary. 
God wants to have a relationship with us. He's not interested in you believing a menu of things about him. He wants to be in a relationship with you, connecting with you. God is, by definition, awesome. He exists in a reality beyond us, beyond our comprehension. This psalm doesn't shy away from that truth, and yet it celebrates the idea that we can be intimate with that God, with the God who, who's beyond comprehension. We can be intimate. The word dwelling place, by the way, can also be translated refuge or help. In some of your Bibles, it may say that. I love what one commentary I read this week offered for the justification for this translation, the dwelling place. He offers some language justification. Then he says this. I want you to see this. The author said, dwelling place is especially relevant to this psalm's emphasis on human rootlessness. In God, at last, we have a home. How awesome is that? Finally, in God, we have a home. So what does this have to do with our schedule? I mean, with our actual routine, our actual to-do list. Well, I think a great deal. Think about it this way. The offer of an intimate relationship becomes the foundation for what the biblical authors consistently call rest. Rest, meaning quiet and peace. Rest, meaning the end of frenetic. Rest, meaning anchored and firm. The end of discouragement and drift. All of that grows out of our intimate relationship with God. God wants to offer us rest in Him. He wants us to dwell in Him, to find our home in Him. And that means anytime we feel frenetic and overwhelmed, chances are we are living apart from Him. We are not dwelling in Him. This truth that God wants to have an intimate relationship with us, that's what's behind Jesus' incredible offer in Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. God invites us into an intimate relationship. Philosophical truth number two, God exists outside. Outside of change, outside of time, outside of progression. Verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are God. Now this much is clear. Hours, days, weeks, centuries, we made those up. We organized our life experience into these chunks. We made it up. What we didn't make up was change, rhythm, movement. We didn't make up death. Now, there's some debate about whether or not ancient people thought about time the same way we do. Some have argued that the way we, you know, are attuned, you might say addicted to our, our calendars and our clocks, has changed the way we think about time itself. Whether or not that's true, it's certain that God exists outside of all of it, regardless of how we think about it. Before anything that we know existed, from everlasting to everlasting, which is this psalmist's best way of describing what's beyond our powers to describe, you are God. Did you notice the present tense, by the way? Before anything that is, was, you are. And we've been invited to have our home there, in that reality. Among other things, that means if we dwell in Him who is outside, if we dwell in Him who's outside, outside of change, outside of progress, outside of time, if we dwell in Him, then we have an anchor in a reality beyond hurry. We have a home in a place beyond worry. 
Okay, I want you to imagine that you have been invited to a rave. I barely know what that is. Everybody who comes into this rave is given uh, noise-canceling, really good noise-canceling headphones, and you walk in, and people are listening to electro, techno, funk, rock, uh, spice, rap. Put it all together. And they're, they're banging around the walls, going crazy. And, you know, you don't hear anything, but they're, they're all going nuts. So you put your headphones on, but you change the channel. And you dial into, I don't know, elevator music. And you begin to dance around, but you're dancing to an entirely different rhythm because something is going on in your head that's completely different. But you're in the room. You're in the same room. But for you, the rhythm and meter is rooted in something entirely different. This is what it's like to have our home in him. Okay, now there are many implications that flow from these two truths, but I want to give you one, I want to offer one kind of get-it-done principle that affects our schedule. Don't miss this principle for the day. Take a Sabbath. I mean in the most practical sense. Find a day in the week that you can set aside. You turn off your email. You don't work. Take a Sabbath and give yourself to your relationship with God. In fact, get away and dwell. Have fun. Get bored. Connect to God. Sweat. Relax. Take a Sabbath. You know, God mandated it as one of the top ten ways of living. If you don't have the habit of a Sabbath in your life, make that your top priority in 2020. Build a Sabbath. All right, philosophical truth number three. So we did two, then we got a a get-or-done principle. So we're going to do philosophical principle number three. Stay with me. Then we're going to do philosophical principle number four and number five. Then get it done principle number two. Then we'll go to philosophical principle number six. And we'll come back and tie three and six together in get it done principle number three. I know you got all of that. So here we go. I'm going to expect a round of applause after that as well. Number three, philosophical truth number three. We live within limits. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight. Like a day that's gone by. You sweep us away in sleep of death. We're like new grass in the morning. Morning it's there, it springs up, and evening it's dried and withered. We live within limits. Acknowledging our limits is a deeply spiritual activity, turns out. In a sense, this was the sin of Adam and Eve. Think about that. I, I think Moses, Moses wrote this psalm. I think Moses has Adam and Eve, by the way, in the background in his thinking here. You can kind of tell that by the things he says in verse 3. He uses a, actually a couple of Hebrew words there that are also used in the Genesis account of Adam and Eve. They were given incredible freedom in the Garden of Eden. Go, knock yourselves out. Have a great time, especially with one another. You want to go over there? Awesome. Go over there. You want to explore that? Awesome. Explore that. Do that together. Why don't you divide up and do that? Divide and conquer. It's awesome. There's one thing you can't do. There's a limit. I don't want you to eat from that tree in the middle of the garden, and they chose to exceed that limit. Now, much has been written about why they chose to do so, pride or greed, or one of you like God. But think for a minute about what they did. Essentially, they wanted to ignore the limit imposed by God. And as a result, we as a species ended up with even more profound limits, which we continually try to ignore. We ignore our limits by overworking, by undersleeping, 
by oversubscribing and over-enrolling our children, by saying yes to far too many things. We're motivated by guilt or by pride or by greed or by insecurity, but whatever the motivation, the consequences are predictable and avoidable. We live within limits, and those limits must be acknowledged and received. Think about the life of Jesus with this idea in mind. Jesus willingly accepted limitation. That's kind of the theme song of his entire ministry, his life here on planet Earth. The Apostle Paul wrote this beautiful poem about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Here's how it started. Listen to this. Who, Jesus, he's talking about. Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to or something to be taken advantage of. He let that go. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He took on all our limitations and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, even to the point of death, even the worst kind of death. This is an artistic description of Jesus' willingness to take on the limits of human existence. We are limited. In a hundred years, everyone in this room will be dead, but God will not be. He exists beyond limits, but we are limited. And we must allow for our limitations in our schedules. The way we think about our lives must include the calculation of limits. Often what we say no to is is more important than what we say yes to. Number four, philosophical truth. We are under God's wrath. And I want to explain what he means by that phrase, under God's wrath. But he gets pretty dark here. And at the very end of it, he says, all our days we pass away under your wrath. Look, Moses doesn't have a fatalistic view of human life. This sounds like he's going all Old Testament, and he is. But his view of God is not all about God's anger. But verse 3, as I said, it makes it clear that Moses has the, you know, the, the fall of Adam and Eve in the back of his mind when he writes this poem. And so the consequences of Adam and Eve's decision and desire to move beyond limits is in front of him. And the consequence was judgment and death. And the universal shadow of that, judgment and death, hangs over us all the time, standing as a constant reminder of our human solidarity and sin and of the seriousness with which God views all of that. I want to offer a weird negative illustration. I mean, this is going a wrong direction, but try to stay with me if you can. Obviously, I've been communicating regularly on Sunday mornings for many years, and those of you who do not know us well or haven't known us long, Diane and I have three children, and they're grown now. But when they were younger... They were growing up in the home of a pastor who communicated regularly on Sunday morning, and their weekly antics were constant grist for my Sunday morning illustrations. So very regularly, I was telling a story about them on Sunday morning, the worse, more embarrassing, the better, and I never got their permission. And I meant to. I'm just thoughtless. So my kids would hear about their latest antic on Sunday morning, They're minding their own business, walking down the hallway, and somebody after church would say, your dad told me what you did on Tuesday. That's hilarious and embarrassing, by the way. And they just had to live with this. I've apologized many times, but again, remember this is negative, but my children had to live under my thoughtlessness. It's just a feature of being, having the last name Alan and having me as their father. Now, they also, I hope, knew how much I loved them, and we had a lot of fun together, and they knew that I would discipline them very firmly, and they knew that I would be clear with them, and they knew that I would do anything in the world for them, but a feature of our relationship was them living under my thoughtlessness. 
A feature of our relationship with God is that we live under his wrath. And he doesn't need to apologize for that. We are constantly exceeding limits. Philosophical principle number five, our lives are sometimes difficult. The length of our days, 70 or 80, if we have the strength yet the span, their span is but trouble and sorrow. Or they pass and we quickly fly away. Some of you are experiencing that this morning. In our congregation, we have people who are related to folks in Puerto Rico who've experienced a devastating earthquake. We have people in here this morning who are struggling with a cancer diagnosis. We have a person here this morning whose water heater blew up. We have someone here this morning told me in between services, their partner, their right-hand man, does more of the work than they do, died Friday of a heart attack, 47. We are experiencing difficulty, and for those of us who aren't in the middle of it, pause for dramatic effect. We will be. Our lives include difficulty. We live under God's wrath, and our lives are sometimes difficult. Now, there are many profound implications for our schedule that flow from these two truths, but let me offer one. That would be be prepared to embrace difficulty when it comes, and I mean that in the most practical way. Be prepared to embrace difficulty this year because it's coming. We don't know if the water heater is going to break or if you're going to get a cancer diagnosis. And I'm not saying those are even. But we're going to experience difficulty this year. This is like Dave Ramsey's emergency fund. You know, you set aside a certain amount of money to make sure that when the water heater breaks, at least it doesn't throw you into debt again. Decide. Go home this afternoon and have a conversation with Diane, except I'll have a conversation with Diane, the rest of you with somebody else. Have a conversation with Diane and say, we're going to experience difficulty this year. Let's be prepared, and let's deal with it really well. Let's welcome it. Let's learn from it what God wants us to learn. The staff is beginning this week to read a book by uh, Pete Scazzaro called The Emotionally Healthy Church, and I want to read you uh, the opening of one of his chapters. He has a chapter called Embrace Grieving and Loss, and listen to this. The section of this chapter that I'm going to read is called The Soul Grows Larger Through Suffering. In the fall of 1991, Jerry and Linda Sitzer, along with his mother, Jerry's mother, and their four children, ranging from ages two to eight, were driving in their minivan on a lonely stretch of highway in rural Idaho. They had been visiting a nearby Native American Indian reservation as a school project for their two oldest children. They seemed, as friends described them, like the, quote, $2 million family. They felt as if they were, quote, living on top of the world. Ten minutes into their drive, Sitzer noticed a car traveling toward them extremely fast. He slowed down at a curve, but the oncoming car traveling at 85 miles an hour crashed headlong into their minivan. The driver was drunk. In one moment, Sitzer lost three generations, his mother, his wife, and their four-year-old daughter. He writes, quote, in one moment, my family, as I had known and cherished it, was obliterated. Sitzer sat on that lonely highway watching them die. The driver of the other car was eventually declared not guilty and set free because it could not be proven beyond shadow of a doubt at the trial that he and not his pregnant wife, who had also died in the accident, had been the one driving. Sitzer wrote a book about his descent into an abyss of grief and incomprehensible pain that changed his life under the title, A Grace Disguised, colon, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. 
And Sitzer writes this, catastrophic loss by definition precludes recovery. It will transform us or destroy us, but it will never leave us the same. There's no going back to the past. It's not therefore true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less, grinding our soul down until there is nothing left. Loss can also make us more. I did not get over my loved ones. Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life until it became part of who I am. Sorrow took up permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. One learns the pain of others by suffering one's own pain, by turning inside oneself, by finding one's own soul. However painful, sorrow is good for the soul. The soul is elastic, like a balloon. It can grow larger through suffering. Be prepared to embrace difficulty when it comes this year. It will come. Sixth philosophical principle. Wisdom comes in part from knowing our limits. And then now, remember, we're tying six back to three. We are limited. And those first 11 verses, honestly, were really the setup for this. Wisdom comes in part from knowing our limits. This is really the psalmist's main point. He's set up before he makes his requests. He says it like this. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now remember, we live within limits. Wisdom comes in part from knowing our limits. Many profound implications for our schedule flow from these two truths. Let me offer one. Plan your schedule according to your priorities. Look, you're suburban Americans. Most of you are very highly educated. You've done a lot of seminars. You know this. So don't let this be just one more reminder. Do it this year. Plan your schedule according to your priorities. Teach us to know our limits and to account for them and to accommodate them. So some of you have seen this illustration before. So let's illustrate our schedules like this. This is what the science experiment was for. So let's imagine that these, these represent our schedules. And this is us obsessing over... Fox News or CNN, whatever it is we're watching, or extra shopping online or going out to the mall. Netflix. Let's take Disney vacation, some video games. Take on extra work. Hulu and a second sport for the kid. Now, of course, we've got sleep. And we need to work around the house some. And we need to invest in school and work out a little bit. All right? Work. Hang out with family. Take a Sabbath. Where does that go? Let's do it differently. Let's plan our schedule according to our priorities. Let's take a Sabbath. It's weird, but I promise this works. Let's hang out with our family. Let's schedule it. We've got to do work. Let's get some exercise. Let's invest in school. Let's sleep. Do a little work around the house. And now, let's watch some Netflix. There's some awesome Korean dramas on Netflix, by the way. <laughs> Let's do some extra work. Second sport. Let's do some video games. 
Heck, let's go to Disney World. Sorry, it's supposed to work. Rhonda, you gave me the wrong bag. <laughs> you get the point. Plan your life, plan your schedule according to your priorities. Put the big rocks in first. We've got somewhere to go. We've got a purpose for this year. We've got, God's got work to do. We're not going to get there if we're leading tangled lives. And to lead untangled lives, we've got to have untangled schedules. So let's build a Sabbath. And let's be prepared to embrace difficulty well this year. It's coming. We've done pretty well at times. We've blown it at times. Let's do really well this year. And let's plan our schedule according to our priorities. Let's pray together. This morning, Lord, we acknowledge our limits. We have physical limits. When we exceed those limits, we get sick. Or we get angrier than we have a right to be. We damage our relationships. We have financial limits. We have talent limits. We have energy limits. And Lord, this morning we receive those. And Father, you're commanding us to relax and have fun. So we welcome your command to take a Sabbath. And we lean into it today. Lord, we ask you to help us be prepared to embrace difficulty and watch as our lives and our souls expand through it. And God, we dedicate ourselves this morning to planning according to our priorities. And if we forget on Thursday, it remind us this morning that we said, yes, that's what we're going to do. Remind us that that's what we want to be and we're going to be about. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen.